Welcome to Time to Market, a podcast by Lean B2B and SK Murphy. In this episode, we're going to be discussing why entrepreneurs shouldn't be too quick to leave their jobs, how to view entrepreneurship more as a career than a single startup, how to transition strategically, what it's like to start up in 2023, and how B2B entrepreneurship is evolving. We hope you enjoyed this brand new episode. Hello, and welcome back to this podcast. I'm joined by Sean K. Murphy of SK Murphy. And today we're going to be discussing the state of B2B entrepreneurship in 2023. Does this still make sense to be an entrepreneur? Is it the best path after school? Is it the best path when you're more forward in your career? Let's discuss this. Sean, how are you today? Good. I'm really good. I'm happy to be here. This is good. I think the first, the first question is, when and why should you leave your job, right? And I, I, Derek Cybers has got this Tarzan model, which is Tarzan swinging through the jungle, grabbing vine after vine. But he's very careful not to let go of the vine that's holding him until he knows that the new vine can actually support his weight. And when people come to the bootstrapper breakfasts and they have a good job, we say, just view that as your first investor and don't, don't let go. So Derek Silver so being the guy that, that founded CD Baby, which we were using at my past company we we're working with. And he, he's a very interesting person to follow. I was reading recently about how basically the, the way he structured the acquisition uh, for his company when they sold and how he put everything in, in a trust fund that generates income for him for the rest of his life. It's an interesting person to follow. But it's a great point as well. Like a lot of founders think I got to, focus on this full-time, I got to jump, jump off, and I got to be working on this new startup full-time, probably based on the fact that they were, they were working full-time on their job before. It's interesting to take a, a bit of a longer view for entrepreneurship. I find like a lot of people will oftentimes jump off, they'll leave their job, and then just start getting stressed because the money's not coming in. They're not used to having that money coming in, uh, which... I have done in the past. I can't completely blame people for doing that. And it's not a good idea because you end up thinking about money all day as opposed to thinking about the best way to be creative, the best way to find the right solution or to be able to, to just casually engage with and network with different types of actors in the industry. I do feel as well that it's skipping over one of the biggest benefits of being employed, which is be able to do problem discovery and looking and evaluating different opportunities from within, when you're working for a company, there's so much you can learn from the actual company you're working in, where you can actually speak to different decision makers, try to figure out how they think, try to figure out how they evaluate different options, look at the different solutions that your company is paying for, is repaying for, is happy with, is dissatisfied with, figure out why they decided to go with these solutions, be part of decision making for new products ask questions to different types of stakeholders, especially if you're a larger business. You can basically do problem discovery with different types of stakeholders in the organization. So there's a lot that can actually be done by still being employed beyond having a paycheck that kind of gives you that flexibility to kind of go all in at the, the time of your choosing. I think you made a number of good points there, Etienne. I think, I, I think people don't realize that entrepreneurship is fundamentally a fragmented activity, especially as a founder. And so longing for this pure, clean, single wavelength of laser light that you're going to ride is just, it's not going to happen. The second thing is I think that the salary gives you peace of mind 
that is that takes a long time to recapture when you start your own thing. And I'll let you know when I recapture mine. I think back in 2000, I guess, I'd been at Cisco a couple of years. I said, I just, I can't, I, I can't take working for a big company anymore. And I realized 90% of what I was reacting to was not anything specific at Cisco, but just, I just wanted to get out and do my own thing. But as you said in your remarks, I said, I got to make a list of what is it I can do while I'm still inside that I won't be able to do once I leave. And I yeah. figured it would take me another two years to try some things and do some things. And I never, and this wasn't, I wasn't planning to compete against this in any way, nothing like this. Just, it was just, there were things that, that having the badge gave you conversations you could have that you can't have any other way. And I think people undervalue that. I think you made a very good point. You've got this kind of access that you otherwise can't. Yeah. But it's kind of a downer of an answer. Like if you meet an entrepreneur who is super motivated, super excited about this idea or this new concept that, that they're coming up with or that new technology that you're hoping to capitalize on, oftentimes telling them to just take it slow or like keep their job is not what they want to hear. So often it's deflating to them because they have that excitement, they have that, that passion, or it's the right time for them to start a company which kind of creates that drive to start no matter what or pursue this idea no matter what the signals are telling them and can be kind of problematic downstream if it doesn't lead you to the right the right kind of setup moving forward so i've you know i've run across a lot of people that are on the cusp of that decision and i'm always i'm always the dutch uncle uh, because i meet a lot of people that took the leap and then are not very happy. So not immediately, not immediately, but, but nine months, you know, I have these conversations with myself at three in the morning sometimes, right? I get up and look in the mirror and say, Hey, I got what I asked for, but I should have been more specific. Right. Well, I think, I, but I think back about like these charts, I don't know if you've certainly seen it. You can probably tell me what, what the name of it is, but like, there's that idea of that the leap of optimism initially, like uninformed optimism initially, where you're kind of just getting started and it's like, okay, everything is exciting. Like, this is a great idea. And you see that often with entrepreneurs where they have a new idea and like everything, like this is going to be great. This is going to work. I think that's a key part of being an entrepreneur, like being able to. I think, I think kills more companies. I think all yeah. that does is it just, it gets, it gets you in a situation where if you can't come up with a creative solution, you're dead. So yes, when you talk to people on the other side of it, they go, yeah, I got on a tight spot and then I was able to figure this thing out and go forward. The people that don't show up are the people that go, yeah, I got in that tight spot and then I couldn't figure out what to do. Yeah, so yeah. I think you have to be, there's a survivor bias in some of those stories. I guess I'll say that. For sure. And in, in all the success stories, definitely. But, but I do think as well, like oftentimes for these entrepreneurs, starting a company is kind of a rejection of their past life. I often speak with entrepreneurs and they're experts in X and Y, but they want to start, up, start out in, in something completely different. I was discussing with founders recently, like they're both experts in a specific field where there's a lot of money, but they're looking for another type of problem that has nothing to do with their business. Like there's some of that that's probably just the, I guess, the, the challenge, setting some greater challenge on yourself or maybe emulating to some extent the founders that you admire. But that is often not really taking stock of the things that kind of make you special or make you go faster in your, your startup endeavors. 
Yeah, I advise you. So we work with a lot of folks that are older entrepreneurs, not so much the 20s, late 30s, 40s, and 50s. And and I always say, look, let's not set fire to your experience. Let's not get rid of 10 or 15 years of hard-won insight and, you know, get back in the water with your swim fins and scuba knife and try and, and start from scratch. I mean, I think there's a desire sometimes to regain your virginity. Yeah. But it's <laughs> I I think most people that are successful find a way to build on prior experience and prior expertise. They may put a twist on it. They may invert it. They may look at it other ways, but it's, it's rare that you can come completely, you know, de novo, completely blank slate to something and not get outperformed by people that are, that have some experience in that field. The other thing, I'll just add one more point. I do think that what we do see that's helpful is to have, if you're going to do that, then you should have at least one person on the team understands the market or understands the customer base. There's got to be someone with domain knowledge or you're, you're likely to suffer from a lot of negative surprise. I still think it's feasible, but definitely it's a longer path where you need to kind of learn what other people already know to be able to kind of get your own, your own spin and your own take on that. Like you see companies that succeed in that. But it's definitely your, you just raise the difficulty level a few notches and, and entrepreneurship is not about, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be thinking about entrepreneurship as I got to set myself the, the most difficult path ever to kind of do this. Like you want to be able to walk, then be able to run, then be able to, to scale something. Like if you don't have something that generates income within X amount of time, uh, usually it's going to be very, very difficult to sustain or to be able to kind of find something. Oftentimes, like you see, there's a lot of entrepreneurs whose success is partially based on the fact that they just kept going longer than, than the other people. Because they had the ability to sustain. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. We tell people, let's crawl before we strap on the jetpack, right? That's, I mean, that's not exciting, Sean. That's not exciting. I, I, I understand, but, but, but I'm on the, I'm the guy that's often in the, in the, in the ER, the trauma ward or whatever, yeah. right? I mean, so I, I'm not, try, I'm not, I'm a huge believer in entrepreneurship, right? I've dedicated the last 20 years of my life to working on entrepreneurs. I love working on entrepreneurs, but I think if you, to me, it's like people that are going to go on, go on a wilderness hike. Yeah. Now you say, okay, you ought to have three ways you can get water. You should carry some water with you. You should have some tablets and you should have one of those handy little straws that purifies, right? So that when things go wrong, sometimes, and they do in the wild, you have some way to get back to civilization. I mean, to me, it's, it's more like planning. I don't know that it's a hostile environment, but it's certainly a high hazard environment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But it's, it's as well, like the way you fund your startup to some extent can be problematic in itself as well. Like if you do have, let's say like I, I do meet entrepreneurs who have been saving up for years and they have maybe 50, 60, hundred thousand dollars in the bank that they're hoping to use to start their startup. Oftentimes it just changes their way of thinking. Like the next step or the next phase can be much further at the moment where they need to crawl is not something that's at the at top of their, their mind. Like that's not something that's top of mind that they need to think about right up front. So it kind of changes their way of approaching the startup in itself. I forget the person that said it, but one of the reasons why you see many, many fewer gas stations fail than restaurants 
is that a restaurant is often, as you mentioned, an aspirational good. And when you start a gas station, you're looking at it as a business. And I think you have to be careful not to confuse your aspirations with what it's going to take to build a business. Yeah. Have you read some of the books by Anthony Bourdain? I haven't. No, I, sorry. Uh, he's got this one of his, I don't remember the exact title. I can put it in notes of the episode, but his, his most famous book, basically he's got this section about why you should not start a restaurant. And he, from experience, he's talking about all the people, all the people that he, he's worked with that were not restaurant experts that started restaurants out of passion. I, I'm good at inviting people at home and making food for them. We have good evenings. I'm going to create a restaurant based on that. But it just skips over the fact that starting a restaurant is going to cost you $500,000 up front. You're going to need to find a cook. You're going to need to find a build your own things. You're going to need to work long hours. It's a lot more than actually just uh, inviting friends over and taking them across the, the food that you're preparing. So there's a lot more that goes into this. So if you're ever thinking about starting a restaurant, Sean, you should read Anthony Bourdain's book before. All right. All right. I hope well, as, soon as, I, as soon as I master, as soon as I master this little consulting thing I have now, then I might <laughs> I still find this to be a sideline. I think the other, I think the other thing that as you position this, as you talk about it, I think you've got to look at entrepreneurship as a career or a calling. And it's not so much that you've got the one I mean, I know that in, when you're in the grip of the idea, you feel like this is the idea that's going to do it. But I think you've got to look at it like this may take a while and I need to figure out who is it I want to serve and what technologies or capabilities do I need to master to get there as opposed to I see this very clear and short path to, to success. I think that's. Yeah. Or, or what got to look at as a long trip. Yeah. Or what industries you want to discover or learn or be very strategic about figuring out. Like it's pretty rare pattern where you see people that are very strategic about how they build their career towards doing entrepreneurship. But I have spoken with a few people that decided to offer certain kinds of consulting or work with different types of companies in different segments to be able to plan their business beyond that, like to be able to, I think one entrepreneur I was speaking with, they were doing consulting in analytics to be able to figure out how to best offer the right type of solution for the market. So they were kind of layering different initiatives that generated money or were career on their own or experiences on their own that could help them reach their goal of being successful entrepreneurs. So it's, it's more of that long-term planning and you could kind of say that I, I've kind of done the same thing. Like one of the things that was very problematic with my past startup and one of the reasons why I stopped going is because I was running out of cash and I had no way to kind of sustain myself. So over the years, I've kind of, I've kind of built some of the products and some of the other things that kind of generated income that gave me, at a minimum, ramen profitability. Yeah, it gave me a, a baseline where I could actually do more exploration and be more flexible and how uh, I approach starting out businesses. I'm still exploring businesses, but based on the fact that I have a, a longer term plan of things that kind of allow me the freedom to be able to do exploration in terms of products or solutions or businesses. I, I, I think that most people arrive at this after they failed three or four times and they, 
they get tired of speaking for myself. So I think this is, I, I think this idea of, of a calling or a career you're kind of back into because it is really hard to resist the sensation of, of this is it, right? I've discovered the, whatever the key. Yeah. Uh, but isn't that part of the problem to some extent where we talk about ideas, it's the business idea. It's that business eureka moment. It's kind of oftentimes perceived as the starting point of the business, or it's, I don't have an idea yet for my business. Like I haven't come up with an idea where asked, it might be more valuable to either start with an audience or to be able to just start with some consulting work that kind of shows you the limitations of a, a set of problems or a set of situations or whatever it is, start with something else that kind of helps you build toward that objective of becoming a successful entrepreneur and B2B. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you're much better off to start with services and to look at kind of no code or low code options as the first platform. If you, so ordinarily, if there's demand for a product, there's demand for a related service, even if it's just a service that delivers the result yep. that the product is going to deliver for the customer. Yeah. And the other thing about services, if you're more in a market exploration mode, is they're, they're an order of magnitude easier to adjust and to refine. So I think that people kind of look down on that, but it's, it's, I think it's a much better way to start. And especially if you're just starting out, it's a way to get some revenue coming in that offers kind of undeniable proof that somebody's willing to pay for this idea. Because the other problem you run into is people love your idea, but it's just not for them. You get this kind of yeah. strange mixed encouragement. It's like, this is fantastic. Why don't you go talk to those guys, right? Which is actually a no, a hard no, but it doesn't sound like it, right? Yeah. It's just, let me pass you on to someone else and hopefully you figure it out. But yeah. So in that situation, like I do find, like, I don't know if you know who Peter Levels is. No, sorry. So he wrote the book called Make. He's basically one of the, the stars of indie startups and everything like that. As he's the founder of Nomad List. He's, he had this really interesting talk that, again, I can put in note, where he's talking about how people needed to be more interested to be able to find their opportunities. Because a lot of the time, the people that are entrepreneurs or the, are people in tech, especially now, is they're going to be the programmers or they might be marketers or they might be people who are doing sales. And it, it only shows you a part of the landscape where you're not also getting, you're probably not getting as many entrepreneurs who are for example, farmers that decide to start building technology products, there should be more probably, but there are not as many. So that's kind of what he means. Like if you, you need to be more interesting, have more diverse background, more diverse thinking, more diverse opportunities that you're looking at than the things that are the big shiny objects, like the AI stuff right now or something else. Like it might be interesting to kind of try to become an expert or try to move towards a place where it's a little bit more of a blue ocean than a red ocean to some extent. So if you're doing this as a career a little bit, it kind of makes sense to try to understand different roles that are not as sexy, maybe different types of opportunities that people are not looking, looking at as much. And there's a lot of those, there's a lot of different things that are not as covered or as discussed in terms of entrepreneurship fields that are really ripe for new innovations or at least incremental innovations that could be interesting for these markets. So I think there's a, 
a part of that to some extent is the idea of how do you kind of keep your mind open to things that are not part of your direct cycle of exposure. Like if we're talking about how Twitter is often like a, an echo chamber to some extent, it's, it's a little bit like that with a lot of entrepreneurship ventures where you're discussing different ways of doing things that are only a, looking at a part of the problems that exist in terms of businesses in the, the, the wider spectrum of opportunities. So I, I, I like this idea of, of being different. And one analogy, I think what happens is people come and they see this huge oak tree and maybe let's just call that Atlassian, right? And they go, man, that is a great place for a tree. Look at how they've all spread out <laughs> the huge tree. And so they run up and they take their acorn and they get about a foot from the base of that oak tree and they plant their acorn there. And they go, man, I, this is going to be a great place. And what they don't realize is, is that the fact that you can see a fully fledged ecosystem and opportunity means that you can't go there. It's what you're calling a red ocean, right? It's, and it's, I think we're, it's, I can remember teaching my daughter to drive. We went out on a, on a Sunday morning after church and we're in an empty parking lot in a shopping center and it's, it's empty, except there's a couple of light poles here and there. And it was like somebody had installed this huge electromagnet at the base of those light poles because she was, so let's just drive straight. And it was like, she would just like drive right at the pole. I go, don't aim for the pole. Like, <laughs> and I mean, it just seems to be very hard for people to aim for open spaces. It feels wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I think you're making a really good suggestion is where are their gaps, where are their unserved or underserved markets, not who's been hugely successful. Let me be the 17th guy to try and do this, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I hope we can dig into this in, in, uh, in a later episode. But right now, if we took a step back and kind of looked at it from the, the 10,000 foot view to some extent, Maybe a question for you. Does it still make sense to start a business in B2B in 2023? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you have to build on your own expertise and experience. I think it's better if you can assemble a team of at least one or two other people that are going to help you. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity for underserved and unserved markets as new technologies kind of come to the fore and enable new kinds of possibilities. But I think you have to be strategic about it and you have to realize that you're, you have to do things in a way that allow you to tolerate a high rate of failure. If you can, if one third of the time you try something and it works, I think that's about the, if, if you're thinking about how many times you've got to iterate to make something work, I think you've got to figure that it's going to take at least three tries to make anything work. And when you're in the grip of that idea, that's a hard message to internalize. And do you feel like the opportunities are shifting or have they already shifted? And do you feel like they're in the trend of shifting to some extent? Yeah, I, I forget what the joke was, but the future arrived yesterday and remains in motion, right? <laughs> so I think, I think that the future is always shifting. There is this pacing layers model, right? That I think Stuart Brand and some of the architecture guys started with, with their site model and how do buildings learn. I think you've got to figure out, there are probably certain technology trends that still have a lot of life in them. I think we're going to be using electricity for a while longer, for example. I think, 
I think we're probably going to be using web browsers for a while longer. But I, I think you've got to figure out where where are the openings in the current kind of stack. Yeah. So you make this if if you're gonna if you're looking at a building, right? If somebody's already picked the site, then you can't really go sell them another building site, right? And if they've already got it. If they've already got all the plumbing and fixtures installed, then probably you ought to think about selling them chairs and paintings, not new plumbing fixtures, because once they've put those in place, Paul David in the Dynamo and the Computer makes this point that they had all the pieces for the modern factory for like 20 years in terms of quarter horsepower motor and the ability to build assembly lines and all that. But the the investments they had made in the older technology and the water wheel based technologies and the belts and pulleys essentially had to be amortized out before you saw much motion. And so I think there's a lot of inertia in the current system that takes a long time to dissipate. Yeah. To add to that, to some extent, I do feel like it's kind of been shifting to some extent in the sense that it's no longer about building the product. Uh, like oftentimes now there's no code tools where we're going to be talking about chat GPT. There is other things that out of the box are providing a lot of value that can ultimately be turned into other value. So sometimes as you're mentioning, it, it's, it can be more about assembling different elements of value and then creating new gaps that can then be repackaged as a new solution to address different, different products to some extent. It's more about being able to gain distribution. It's more about being able to find, find the right opening to be able to, to innovate and work with stakeholders, build relationship, be able to do all that. I'm very excited about this because I think it's going to attract a lot of different innovators, a lot of different people that maybe were not planning to be entrepreneurs or never considered themselves entrepreneurs or maybe never, never aspired to be entrepreneurs, but are suddenly able to have all the Legos to kind of look at it and say, okay, I could actually create a solution for myself and then see if there's people like me that like this and then kind of turn that into innovation. I'm currently reading Efficient of Innovations and today I was reading specifically about lead users and it's an old book, but they were talking about how for a while in, in more traditional or industrial innovation, it was often the lead user, so a person that actually had this specific problem who actually came up with the solution and kind of pushed the innovation to happen or to be commercialized afterwards. I do think we might be in this situation as well. There's people that were not planning to be entrepreneurs, but because of the access to technologies or different approaches to technologies, they may be able to expand the, the, the spectrum of what is being considered in terms of B2B entrepreneurship. I think you make a very good point there that there that there is a category or kind of person who is an intrapreneur who works inside of companies to bring change. And I think successful entrepreneurs are able to listen to those customers who are lead users or entrepreneurs or whatever and learn from them as opposed to saying, no, no, let me explain my vision to you again, right? I think to the extent that you can step across the table and, and look at how they're actually deploying it, you become more successful, but that's probably, we should probably break here because that opens two other vistas we've opened up there. Yeah. So the question is, will it be about AI? I guess we'll discuss this in the next episode. Feel free to share any feedback you have. You can 
message us on Twitter. I'm at egarbugly and you're at SK Murphy. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Eddie. Thanks for listening to Time to Market. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe on your favorite app and join us next week for more B2B banters.